everybody to the Aaron's High Cap Adventure Radio Program, and we have a lot going on today, don't we always? It's always an action-packed show. Uh, you know, it's pretty humbling. People, I've had one person actually almost come to a screech and halt, roll down the window and say, hey, great show, and I'm saying, I don't even know you. Who are you? But people are listening all around. We're enjoying the feedback. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let me give you a show highlight breakdown of what's coming up here, and then we're going to take a quick break. We've got today's stories of self-defense. They come from the Concealed Handgun Magazine. And I'm going to read them to you and give you my excellent commentary on each one of those. There's lots to learn from these. And um, we've gone through a whole bunch of stories, and some are scary, some are funny, but we can learn a lot from these stories. So pay attention to that, and that'll be coming up soon. In my License to Carry segment, we'll be talking about the traffic stop. This segment will bleed into our attorney lawyer segment with attorney Rick Dodd. And we will also have Officer Randy Dixon joining in for our overall view of the do's and don'ts, the cans and cannots of a traffic stop. This is going to be a great segment. Everybody gets stopped once in their life, if not twice or multiple times. It's important to know how to handle yourself on a traffic stop. Today's product spotlight, sponsored by ANC Firearms and Heidenhammer, is the North American Arms Pug Mini Revolver. This is an unbelievably underrated firearm and you can get it at ANC Firearms. I want to give you or I want to tell you all about it in the product spotlight segment. And we've got a really great uh, show going already. Off we're bleeding the two together. License to carry segment. Conceal a handgun, license to carry, practically the same thing, just different letters. Okay? And then we're going to bleed in our attorney segment. And I have on my left Super Attorney Rick Dodd. And on my right we have Officer Randy Dixon. And this is going to be a fantastic conversation. We're going to be talking about traffic stops. So what I'm going to do Many questions are asked of me as to what to do on a traffic stop, especially you know if you're carrying a license to carry. So I'm going to give you your host's perspective as to what to do from my own common sense and the advice given to me by law enforcement throughout the years. But first I'm going to read the bullet lines from the training manual and then overlay that with my experience. And after that, I'll have attorney Rick Dodd and Officer Randy Dixon go over the legal aspects of the traffic stop so that if, God forbid, you are stopped, you'll know how to handle yourself properly. Now, it's very easy for a traffic stop to go bad, especially if you or the officer are having a bad day. Okay, so let me read these bullet points and then we'll get into this here. Traffic stops. First of all, you want to follow instructions. Pull over to as safe a place as station. Keep your hands on top of the steering wheel. Turn on the dome light if necessary. Don't make quick movements or look like you're hiding stuff, particularly as the officer approaches. Be prepared to properly display your driver's license and license to carry if applicable okay so that and of course we expand upon that and that's what I'm going to do right now let me tell you ladies and gentlemen what your host does if in the rare occasion they catch me and pull me over okay now I am very um, favorable to law enforcement and I understand that at any moment something can go wrong and an officer coming up to a traffic stop never knows when it's going to go down. So trying to put the officer at ease as much as possible on a traffic stop, I'm going to do the basic courtesies that I would expect done to me if I was a law enforcement officer. 
So if I get pulled over, I'm not going to drive for miles and miles and miles before I pull over just because. I'll do that if there's no place to safely pull over. But if there's a place pretty quick, I'm going to pull over. I'm going to signal, pull over. Once I pull over, the first thing I'm doing is I'm shutting the car off after I roll down the windows. And if it's dark out, turn the dome light on. So I'm pulling over. The windows are down in case they're tinted or you can't see, they're fogged, whatever. Okay. I want the officer as he approaches the car to be able to see in all the time what's going on. The dome it's on if it's dark. They end my keys and I put them on the dashboard. And then I rest my wrists on top of the steering wheel with my fingers extended. And I sit in a manner that is relaxed because I'm not worried about it. I got no contraband, so I'm not worried about it. Okay, so the officer starts coming up. And this is what I do. As the officer approaches, I smile and say, Officer, how are you? I want you to know that I am a licensed to carry holder. And I do have the weapon on me at this time. And it is located in such and such a place. And my wallet is in my left rear pocket. What would you like me to do, sir? And they look at me and they go, huh? <laughs> I was like, I caught him off guard. They go, okay, you're, okay, where's the gun? I said, it's right there. I said, it's fine. Just don't go to it. Uh, let me see your license and registration, whatever. So I prepped him, let him know, because I'm going to tell you something. If you have a license to carry and you're pulled over, the officer reads your plates. They know who owns the car, but they don't know who's driving the car. Once they get your driver's license and they call it in, they're going to know whether or not you've got a license to carry or not. And let me be very clear on something when it comes to the license to carry. The law specifically states if you're a license to carry holder and you, do not, and you do not have the weapon on you at the time, you're not required to tell the officer that you're a license to carry holder. That's the law. Now, for the common sense reality of it is, I don't care if you got the gun on you or not. Tell the officer you're licensed to carry holder and that you either have the gun on you or you don't have the gun on you because he's going to find out or she's going to find out. And if you, if they find out and you didn't tell them, they're going to be a little PO'd. Okay, because it's like, why didn't you tell me? And then you're going to go, well, because the law specifically states if I don't have the gun on me and then you're going to get a traffic ticket plus one. Okay, so that's the way I would do it if I was stopped by a police officer. Now, what I'd like to do next is to get Officer Randy Dixon on to say what he and him as a law enforcement officer would like in return. If he concurs with what I just said or if there's something I forgot. So, um, Randy, why don't you tell us your aspect of it if you're pulling somebody over, and then we're going to get Super Attorney Rick Dodd's uh, legal aspects of it as well. Basically, what you said to do is exactly what we would like people to do. Now, I'll tell you right now, most of the people don't take the time to turn the vehicle off. They don't put their keys up, and they don't keep their hands where they can be seen. You know, you have to understand that when a police officer stops a car, 99.9% .9 of the time, he has no clue who's driving that car. The car may be registered to someone out of Temple, but it may be driven by someone out of Houston. When an officer walks up to the car, number one, his safety factor is going to kick in. He is going to consider himself, uh, every stop he considers is a dangerous stop. That doesn't mean every stop is going to be a dangerous stop. But it only takes a, it, it only takes a flash of a second for someone's life to go terribly, terribly wrong. So hypothetically, what we like to do, and what I like to see is, if you're driving down the highway, and let's say that you're stopped by the police officer, exactly what you said to do is what we would hope you do. Pull over safely to the right, never to the left. Give the officer a chance to, to get up to your car. Uh, listen to what he has to say. You know, I've in the 43 years I've been doing this business, and, uh, you know, 17 of it as a chief, I, tell my, I told my officers, I said, you know, use your seven-step approach. 
If you follow a seven-step approach every time as a habit, then you're not going to fall into any kind of situation that's going to uh, basically turn bad unless there is a criminal involved. And uh, 99.9% of the people that you stop are going to be good, honest citizens who just made a mistake. And sometimes they don't even know what the mistake they made was. You know, we tell them, I tell young officers, I said, if you're going to stop somebody, you're going to work traffic, and you pull somebody over, number one, nobody wants to be pulled over by the police. I'm telling you right now. I was stopped in three three different times in one day going to Houston here about two months ago. So I understand nobody wants to get stopped. But we do get stopped, and people are going to get stopped. But if an officer walks up to you, the first thing hopefully he's going to do, he's going to identify himself to who, you, to who he is. And then he's going to ask for your DL. Now, here's where a lot of people get in trouble. They want to start arguing right off the bat before they ever hand the DL to the officer. Folks, that's the wrong thing to do. Hand the DL, the insurance to the officer, because he's going to demand that first. That's his safety factor. If something goes wrong, he's got your, he's got the DL in his hand. He's got the identification in his hand. And then once once that officer gets that that driver's license and that insurance card, and by the way, what I'd also recommend is, you know, uh, if you have a, a license to carry, you hand that to him at the driver's license. Take it out and give it to him. That way it takes the it takes the guesswork out right there. And he may ask you, he said, do you have a weapon in the vehicle? If he does, uh, uh, just be honest, tell him. And even if you're not a licensed carry, and he asks you if you have a weapon, don't lie to him. Just tell him yes, I'm in the car. You know, there's, there's certain circumstances where it's totally legal to do that. And then once he gets that driver's license, he makes contact with you. He, know who, he or she knows who they're talking to. They're going to hopefully explain to you why you were stopped. Now, you may not agree with them. You may think you did something, but the side of the street is not where the whole court. That's not that's not where the jury is. The jury is when you get people like Mr. Dodd or someone like that to go to court with you, and you let a judge decide. An officer is just doing his job by enforcing the law. He is not the judge and jury. But you got to go along with what he has to say because the side of the street is not the place to argue, folks. And when you argue, it just makes situations go bad. Now, the next thing the officer is going to do, he's going to tell you, Folks, I'm going to give you a warning. I'm going to give you a citation. He does what he's going to do. He explains it to you. And some people say, well, I'm not going to sign the citation. Well, folks, you know, there's a couple of ways to look at that. When you sign a citation, you're not saying you're guilty. All you're doing is saying you'll promise to take care of it one way or the other, either by contacting the court itself, a lawyer to set up a court for you, but you, you, in most cases, you are required to sign that citation, or you could be arrested for that. Uh, we would hope not. We would hope we would never regress to that. Then once that is done, the officer is going to leave, and he's not going to leave till you leave if he's a good officer. And he's not going to tell you, well, have a nice day, because once you've already been stopped, your day's been ruined anyway. <laughs> but, the folks, the thing is, an officer doesn't know what he's walking up to. Uh, let me give you a quick example of that. And... Um, the late 80s, I was working traffic division for Temple, and I stopped a vehicle uh, speeding down one of the streets in Temple. A fairly heavy speed. A lady and a man were at it. Wrote the citation for speeding, didn't think anything about it. Went home from the end of my shift at 11 o'clock that night, 3 o'clock that morning. Those same two individuals were caught burglarizing a 
auto auto shop in Temple or a dealership in Temple, and they had an Israeli Arms forty four uh, caliber rifle, a pistol with them. That was in the car when I stopped that car. They could have shot me. They could have done anything they wanted to, but I didn't give them the chance to because I conducted my business. I got back and and left. Folks, just do what the officer says on the street. Uh, you may not like it. You may not agree with it. But once again, that's not the place you argue. Those are all fantastic points. Um, so stand by, um, Randy. We're going to have uh, Super Attorney Rick Dye here. Uh, Rick, how's it going? Good to have you back on the show. Oh, it's good to be here. It's like a tag team uh, left-right one-two punch with you and Ross. You just come in here. If one's not doing it, the other's doing it. But no matter what happens, we're giving great information out here. Ross um, is a good guy. I always enjoy listening to him. Well, Rick, what we've got here is my interpretation. I read what it, what it says in the book. To how I do things. Um, Randy here told him everybody how he would like it done on the street, but I've got some questions, and I know you're going to have a whole bunch of information here, but I'm talking probable cause. What is it? Is there any violation of rights? What are they? How do you respond if rights are violated? Um, dark roads, women in cars, what to do, guns, where they're located, what to do, so on and so forth. So with this big gamut of information, with your expertise, why don't you lay on the line, tell everybody out there listening your aspects, legal aspects of how this all works. Well, probable cause for a stop. I mean, basically, you have a situation where there's a definition. It's such a wide open definition that the uh, courts have said there's really no definition. But if there are facts sufficient to warrant a man a reasonable caution in the belief that an offense is being committed, that is probable cause. That's wide open. That's wide open. That's right. That's why I like the law, how black and white it is. I can read it and make total sense of it. Not. <laughs> but, ba- but basically, uh, you know, I believe every- I-, I agree with everything you and Officer Dixon has said here. Absolutely. The problem comes in is when... Ma- That's why I like the law, how black and white it is. I can read it and make total sense of it. Not. <laughs> but, ba- but basically, uh, you know, I believe every- I-, I agree with everything you and Officer Dixon has said here. Absolutely. The problem comes in is when maybe the officer is not doing what he's supposed to be doing. And that happens. That happens quite a bit. Uh, violation of rights. A violation of rights, of course, the rights are given to us by our Constitution. And the Fourth Amendment says that we should be free from unreasonable search and seizures. We should be free from being unreasonably detained. So there's a lot of case law out there about what is unreasonable as far as being detained. Uh, for instance, when you have an unreasonable search and seizure, there may be probable cause to do a search, but those searches may be limited to certain areas of the vehicle where perhaps what your probable cause might be found. For instance, if you were looking for uh, an illegal alien from Russia, you wouldn't have the right to go into the glove pocket. Maybe the trunk. But, uh, you know, a lot of the searches are being done for drugs, and of course they can be hidden anywhere, so that would allow the officer to search in many places. I want to make one comment, though. Uh, Officer Dixon and I were talking about this before we went on air. In no way, shape, or form do I promote that you should be saying, hey, you're violating my rights. No, absolutely not. If you're pulled over, you obey what the law officer says. If you got a problem or an issue, you take it up after that. Do not uh, elevate the situation if you think rights are violated because it goes bad. All right, go ahead. Yeah, and... and great example of it going bad is the Sander Bland case. We've heard a lot about the Sander Bland case and it went bad on both ends in my opinion. 
you have a situation where you have a DPS officer who's supposed to be trained to de-escalate problems. So if you get into a situation and the officer is not de-escalating the problem, you better start doing it because things are going to go bad. Unfortunately for Ms. Bland, she didn't de-escalate the problem, nor did the officer. What happened on that is that was in July the 10th of 2015. And, you know, backing up a little bit, the officer, when he gets out of a car, he is in harm's way. And the fact is, in the 10-year period before 2000, 93 law officers were killed in the United States during traffic stops or pursuits. That's a lot. I mean, that's, that's right. Like that's in 1998 alone, there were nine killed. But what astounded me were there were 6,248 assaulted. Of course, I don't know how bad the assaults were, but I'm sure some of those were gunshot wounds and hit on the head and things of that nature. So they have to be on the defense. But, again, they're supposed to be trained. So when the officer approaches Miss Bland, she's smoking a cigarette. He tells her to put the cigarette out. Okay, instead of complying with that simple request, she says, well, I know my rights. I don't have to put the cigarette out. I'm in my car. Well, the officer should have backed off and said, okay, because she was right. She didn't have to put the cigarette out. But instead, it upset him because it was a challenge to his authority. So then he says, um, well, step out of the car. And Miss Bland says, well, I don't have to get out of my car. You don't have the right to tell me to get out of the car. Well, he did have the right to tell her to get out of the car if he had a reason for her to get out of the car, which he could have easily articulated. Ma'am, I want you to get out of the car because I'm afraid that you have a weapon inside uh, or you're being belligerent. I'm afraid you might hurt me. But uh, no, he doesn't do that. He says uh, instead he pulls out his taser. And, you know, a taser is uh, a weapon. And he clearly violated her constitutional rights when he pointed that taser at her and told her to get out of that car or I'm going to jerk you out of that car. If I can interject. Sure. One thing here is don't get out of the car to your to you are told to get out of the car though um too many times people will jump out of the car and try to run back to the officer never do that because that puts the officer in a bad situation yeah i agree not i mean many years ago we were taught to get out of yeah. the car but yes. not anymore not, not anymore. anymore well i mean plus it's just a traffic hazard right frankly. yeah so anyway um if he had said well you need to step out of the car because i need to search your car then she should have gotten out of the car. So here's a situation where he was wrong and she was right. But did that make her safe? No. No. So then... Um, Being legal isn't always um, healthy, I guess. That's true. And, and, you know, he may have thought he had probable cause to search her car. He may have thought he had probable cause to tell her to get out. But he needed to articulate it. I want to make something clear, too. We're not picking on law enforcement. We are utilizing a, a situation that happened. You cannot deny it. And so we're studying it on both sides so that we can learn and be sure not to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm Again, I'm, I'm in favor of the law enforcement, and I understand their situation. But, again, here is someone who is trained that didn't de-escalate. He should have called for backup. That I think his training would have called for backup in that situation. So uh, 
Anyway, as it goes along, Miss Blanche, she says, I refuse to talk to you other than to identify myself. Guess what? She's right about that. But unfortunately, the officer was further upset about that response. <laughs> <laughs> and again, you know, his, his choice would have been to have called for backup and said, you know, let's try to get this de-escalated, get a couple officers in there where he's not in danger, where he doesn't have any real issues of him being in danger and see what unfolds. So instead, he says, I'm giving you a lawful order. Now, you know, I know I'm nitpicking here, but was that a lawful order to put out a cigarette or get out of the car? <laughs> in either case, it was not really a lawful order. He was mistaken about that. So um, what happened after that? He did then call for backup after he told her he was going to yank her out of there. So uh, he really couldn't do that either unless she was posing a threat to his welfare or safety, which at that time I don't think the cigarette was posing a big problem for him. But he didn't see it that way. So uh, she said, don't touch me. I'm not under arrest. To which he replied, well, you are under arrest. Well, for what? I, I mean... I don't know what he, he would, she would have been under arrest for because he did not articulate that. Instead, he turned to the radio. That's when he called for backup. And uh, does he have an obligation to tell her why she's under arrest? Well, yes, he needs to do that. Now, I don't know about an obligation, but I think a, a reasonable obligation to put things at ease and, and, and overcome this conflict, he needs to tell her why she might be under arrest. We're not real sure why she would have been under arrest, except she didn't put out her cigarette and didn't dig it out of the car, which neither one of those were really legal for her to have to do. So she then asked or asserts her right, I guess is a better way of putting it, to use her cell phone to record this conversation. Does she have that right? Well, yes, she does. But again, he perceives this as a threat to his authority. And by golly, he is the authority on the scene, according to himself, not according to the Fourth Amendment of the Constitution. And that's where I got a problem with the whole thing, because uh, I'm a real believer in the Constitution. Okay, let me, we're going along here. Let me take a, um, a quick break. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Aaron's High Cap Adventure Radio Program. It's June 17th. Uh, we're talking with Super Attorney Rick Don. We have Officer Randy Dixon here. We're talking about traffic stops, and we're talking about how it can go bad very quickly if personalities... Uh, are bad or our ego states are out of whack. Um, so this is a great learning process. Yeah, it really tells us what not to do. It's exactly, that's why we're doing it, is to tell us what not to do. So let's take a quick one-minute break, and when we come back, uh, we'll continue it up. June 10th, 2017, if you want to call and put your two cents in, it's 697-6633. That's 254-697-6633. We're here again with Super Attorney Rick Dodd, and Officer Randy Dixon. Hey, uh, Rick, tell everybody, first of all, how they can get a hold of you real quick. Oh, yeah. You can uh, check us out on respectforyou.com. You can give us a call at 697-4965. Or just drive down Houston Street, and you'll see us on the right. Very good. Okay, give us a quick recap of who we're talking about and what and what we're doing for those who are just tuning in. Yeah, yeah we're, we were just talking about the Sandra Bland case, which uh, is a classic example of what not, not to do. And uh, Chief Dixon here had just talked about 
what officers normally do, and this is an example of what an officer should have done but didn't do, and that is to de-escalate a problem that he perceives. Instead, he escalates it because clearly Miss Bland was escalating it insofar as asserting her rights. She had these rights, certainly, but uh, uh, Chief Dixon had made the point that this is not the place to hold court, that the place to hold court would have been later. Yeah, what were you saying on that, uh, Officer Dixon? Uh, one, of the, one of the things that I, I think, especially in this case here, I don't care whether you're a state trooper, whether you're a city policeman, whether you're a deputy sheriff, you know, it's it's incumbent upon whoever the supervisors are to know who their officers, and sometimes officers let their egos go unchecked. You know, uh, just because we carry a badge on our chest, that doesn't make you the authoritarian to do things of what will what you want to do at will. Uh, it, it, you know, when I look for hire a policeman, I look for someone that had common sense, and I think that's what this boils down to. Stress is going to be there, but you have to know how to handle that stress. And I think, as as uh, Mr. Dodd said, that you know, there's times you have to step back and you've got to think. Call somebody else. Call somebody to let you help mitigate if you're feeling if the officer feels angry. And I tell you something, citizens can do too. And this is how I highly urge this: if they feel out there on the street that it's getting out of hand, ask that officer to call. May I speak to your supervisor? Would you have him come to the scene? But don't argue. Don't get into it. Uh, you know, have somebody else come. It protects both of you. And the other thing is, uh, most of the departments now are, are wearing body cams. And those body cams are not only for the protection of the officer, but they're for the protection of the citizen, too. It would take a foolish officer, very foolish officer, to lose his control when he's on camera. And I'm sorry, I just want to throw that in. I'm going to make one comment. This is a great example of the ego states, parent, adult, child. And if we're not speaking adult to adult to each other, we have potential conflict. Because if I'm acting parental to you, you'll probably act childlike back or vice versa. And that's just a beautiful recipe for conflict so that's what we teach in our course as well i don't, I don't know rick if we can, you're into that kind of stuff maybe we can do that for another show talk about our ego states sure um, de-escalation non-violent dispute resolution but anyway go on with what you're doing here well what happened uh, after the stop and after some of the exchanges was uh, the officer clearly was upset and then he said get out of the car or i will light you up uh, and he's talking about the taser that he had pointed at her. And again, this was a dangerous situation. Nice. I mean, if he had actually tased her in the face, she could have had brain damage, certainly would, could have had nerve damage uh, to any of her facial muscles. Uh, this, this was a violent uh, threat to her and clearly illegal and a violation of her Fourth Amendment rights. He had no business doing that. So... So many things went wrong here, and of course, ultimately, uh, Miss Bland was put in jail, where three days later she apparently committed suicide. And so it was just horrible, uh, incredibly horrible situation. From a basic traffic stop, it escalates to that. So yes. that's why it is so important <clears throat> that we understand how things work on both sides of the badge. Okay, and um, just common sense. What else you got there, Rick, concerning that? Well. You mentioned something, uh, how do you respond if your rights are violated? Well, I would always ask, are we being recorded? And hopefully you are being recorded. For and if your, rights, if your rights are being violated and you're being recorded, then you need to keep your mouth shut and let those violations occur because if something does happen later down the road, 
then the jury or the judge actually is going to throw the case out because those violations. Uh, a lot of people think that they have to let the officer search their car. Well, there are some differences in the Fourth Amendment as far as a car and a home. For instance, uh, the Supreme Court of the United States allows more la latitude for police officers to search your car. And you see, this goes along with whether you believe your rights were violated or not. Maybe they weren't being violated. You just might think they're being violated. So you need to be careful with what you think. Well, I want to be open here. If an officer asks me, can I search your car, my answer is going to be, uh, respectfully, sir, no. Now, I agree. Now, if he tells me, get out of the car, I'm going to search your car, I'm going to say, yes, sir, because I'm not going to do it there. But I well, just be careful that you're not saying yes, sir, to search in the car that you are. Yes, sir, I'm getting out of the car. <laughs> well, I'm going to make it very clear that I'm going to comply because I'm not going to argue with the guy on the road. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to follow his orders, but I'm going to, since I know my rights and I know I got no junk in the car and everything I've got is legal, there is no reason for him to inspect it. So I'm going to say, respectfully, officer, no, I don't authorize a search. But then at that point, he demands me to get out like this situation happened. I'm not going to escalate it. I'm going to follow the rules. And I'll take care of it later. Sure, absolutely. That, and that is my point. You, you take care of it later. I mean, there, there are certain uh, situations because a car is movable, uh, because a car is uh, subject to certain uh, restrictions like you have to license it, you have to uh, uh, inspect it. Uh, the Supreme Court of the United States said a car has less constitutional rights with regard to search and seizure than a house does. For instance, if uh, if an officer believes has probable cause, and probable cause can come through open sight, you know, if he sees contraband on the front seat or a vehicle. And of course, sight is one of our senses, but so is smell. Mm -hmm. uh, probable cause can happen if they smell certain chemicals that officers are trained to smell that uh, is commonly used to make certain drugs like methamphetamine or uh, the smell of marijuana that might give them probable cause to do a search. Uh, if a, a reasonable or a, a, a informant Gosh, what do they call them? Uh, somebody who's... Snitch? Confidential informant. Uh, confidential, but, but the informant has to have some credibility. Right. You know. A credible informant uh, has given them information about uh, something, then that might give them reasonable cause to stop a certain car and do a certain search. Uh, whereas they would have to get a warrant to do that for a house. The rule is, is if they could have gotten a warrant, had they gone to the magistrate, then it would be a reasonable search for the car. Also, I throw in there, the person, if person is obviously sticking stuff underneath the seat or reaching under a seat, um, uh, most officers are going to search that for their own safety. Absolutely. You know. Yeah, but that, in my opinion, that's reasonable because you're making these uh, erratic movements. That's why as soon as I'm, the lights flash, the mm -hmm. dome lights on, I want him to see me. Well, that's reasonable to most people, but if you're, if you're in a situation in that car where you are doing that and you are um, becoming a little bit of conflict with officers, they may not feel it's reasonable. My opinion, if somebody's sticking something under a seat or reaching down under a seat for my own safety so I can go home and see my kids, I'm going to search that car. Okay, look, for because we're limited on time, we've got about two, three minutes max here, I want to ask one last question here. I had this asked me a lot. If you're a passenger in the vehicle and the officer comes up, obviously he's talking to the driver, but what if there's a license to carry in the vehicle? Does the license to carry in the vehicle have to declare? I, I know what the answer is, but I want you to say it. Uh, or if there's something I'm missing here. So passenger in the car, traffic stop, 
do you have to announce that you're licensed to carry? In my opinion, no. I, that's my opinion, but I think it'd be a good idea to because yeah. there is a gun in the car and it's, the officer should. He's at risk. The person should do it, but are they mandated to do it? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think they're they're not mandated to do it, but I know. It's, sometimes <laughs> it's a good opinion. I, I just say, I guess you're gonna have to call that shot on your own on that particular one. Okay, let's wrap this up, guys. Give me a final um, overview of what we've just done here. Any final comments before we close this up? My, my only comment I have is just try to make sure that you do everything to keep the officer from from becoming alarmed. If it's daytime, nighttime, nighttime, it's going to be more on edge. You're going to have lights on your eyes, uh, and there's reasons for that. Just don't do anything that's going to bring any undue attention to yourself on a traffic stop. That's right. I, I uh, was stopped one night out on the, the Long Bridge, and... Uh, the stated reason was he couldn't see my front license plate. Well, it was dark. <laughs> my lights were on. But instead of me, you know, calling certain names for stopping me, I said, well, sir, uh, why don't you go up with your flashlight and take a look at the front, please? He did, and sir then came around and apologized and left. Very good, very good. Uh, Rick, tell everybody how they can get in touch with you, please. At... Uh, respectforyou.com if you look us up you can read all about us you can uh, go to justice at respect for you with an email you can give us a call 1-800-460-0606 or 1-888-MISO-FIRM or just meet us on the street hey we're around Craig Brown in the office he's uh, involved in a lot of the local uh, businesses as far as uh, the community goes and uh, we do a lot of things around the community to help out and do what we can. So we're around. All right, stand by for a second. Joel, what we're going to do is going to take a long break after this. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to the Aaron's High Cap Adventure Radio Program. Again, it's June 10th, 2017. I still have a Super Attorney Rick Dodd to my left and Officer Randy Dixon to the right. The phone number here is 254-697-6633 if you've got a last-minute question. But right now we're going to go over things that are coming up or have been done and um, lots of things going on. Last night was our most recent round-robin competition. And, man, we had a lot of people. It was a lot of fun. And Butch Downey won the round-robin and got him a nice Mossberg Maverick 88 12-gauge pistol grip pump shotgun. Say that five times fast. Joel, pick it up. See who it is. We got a call coming. Let's see if it's pertaining to the show and not selling something. Welcome to the Aaron's High Cabin Mission Radio Program. Who we got on the line? This is Steve Bassani. Steve? Yeah. Uh, sorry I missed the show last night, the gun show. Uh, anyways, my wife and I were driving real late back one night trying to make it home. And my wife was going like five miles over the speed limit through town and she didn't even realize it. it I think it was the last light going out of town. And she, she took off and she was going like five miles over the speed limit. Anyways, the officer stopped us done everything exactly right uh but the, uh, what worried me was i'm sitting there with a pistol on my hip and uh, so i told the officer i said officer i have a licensed pistol pistol with me and he didn't even answer me he kept talking to francis she was driving and i said officer he said i heard you but i'm not talking to you i'm talking to the driver so i immediately shut up <laughs> I uh, probably, my guess is that he didn't think you were any threat Hello? to him. Uh, 
you know, if if he was talking to your wife about the infraction, the the idea was that he didn't think you or he didn't perceive you as any risk if someone's willing to tell him that they have a license and that you're in the passenger seat. Uh, he probably did the right thing. And maybe he should have been a little more polite about it, but he also uh, uh, he also handled the situation in a way that uh, wouldn't get you alarmed either. Okay, I think we lost the call, but um, Steve, thank you for the call. That, was, that, that kind of fit what I was saying here if you're a passenger in the seat, so that was a perfect follow-up. I appreciate the call. Anybody else? 254-697-6633. Now, this uh, segment is sponsored by... ANC Firearms, and we're going to be talking about uh, this week's product spotlight, the North American Arms Mini Revolver, the Pug, and 22 Magnum. ANC Firearms is located in Heidenhammer, in between Rogers and Temple. I'm sure you all know where it's at. The owner, Arch Kootens, is an awesome individual. Very nice guy. So is the crew down there. You got Clint, Mike, Dennis. They've got lots of guns, ammo, accessories, knives, reloading equipment so on and so forth. The number there is 254-983-4417. Now, you need to support these sponsors. These sponsors um, are supporting me, and it's a big circle. So by supporting those sponsors, they support me, and we just keep going with the circle of life. Now, this North American Arms Mini Revolver is awesome. I love it. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you. When I first saw it, years ago I thought no way this just the accuracy on this thing is ridiculous but the problem was I got such a large hand the thing would swim in my hand but then I was uh, I saw a used one that had a different grip on it. I go wait a minute you know that looks it should work with this grip in my hand and sure enough that thing is extremely accurate and I can't tell you how many I've sold from that point on and what I've got and how I've customized mine, and they shoot fantastic. So we're going to be talking about the North American Arms Mini Revolver, the Pug. There's a, there's a large variety, and I'll tell you about those soon. But I'm going to read you an article by Dick Williams about the North American Arms Pug, and it pretty much tells you everything you need to know, but we'll go over some more details in a second. Uh, let's see here. It goes, the national reaffirmation of our Second Amendment rights, affirmation of our Second Amendment rights, has been fantastic over the last few years. The most visible evidence of this wonderful development has been the tidal wave of concealed carry weapon legislation in most of our states. Interestingly, many gun buyers and manufacturers have ignored years of advice from gun writers about the perils of leaving home with anything less than a 40 caliber pistol. It's understandable in that we gun writers have focused on the, in the season. Those weapons, bullets, are the proven way to end. The real world properly focused on the initial C in C. Your weapon must first be and foremost be concealed. And smaller guns are easier to conceal and carry the other C than larger guns. North American arms revisited the page of American history where small single shot derringers or mini revolvers ruled the concealed carry pocket pistol world of self-defense. This Utah-based company has made tiny revolvers for many years without their role in self-defense being fully appreciated. That's changed. Welcome the North American Arms Pug, a five-shot Derringer-sized revolver that has been equipped with a very serious set of self-defense sights designed for deployment in low to no light situations with lightning speed. Measuring 4.5 inches long, 
and 2.7 inches tall and 7 eighths of an inch wide, this little powerhouse can be carried concealed by any size person. Made of 17-4 pH stainless steel and equipped with a 1 inch heavy barrel, the pug will probably outlive your grandkids, assuming you and I don't screw up and elect all the wrong people to political office. Yes, the pug must be fired single action. And if you take my class, you know what that means. But it carries five rounds of 22 mag ammunition. The same number of rounds as your dad's J-frame. And the barrel is topped with a set of XS sight systems, tritium sights, which are, the, which are as fast on target as any sights I've used. Additionally, the tritium insert in the large front sight dot makes it visible in minimal light condition that frequently accompany a hostile situation. All the 22 Magnum will not stop a charging buffalo. Five alternating rounds of jacketed hollow points and solids should produce the desired effect on any adversary. A great self-defense feature of the pocket pistol is the ability to have your hand on the gun with it partially drawn from the holster, but still concealed in your pocket before trouble starts. Brandishing your weapon is not allowed, but preparedness while maintaining concealment is smart and provides a great advantage. At a recent event at Gunsight Academy, I found getting a partially drawn pocket pistol into action was much faster than deploying a holstered gun concealed under a vest or a jacket. As with every other skill acquired in life, practice is the key. One huge advantage of the North American Armed Pug is a gun-firing 22 Magnum ammunition is such easier to master than one firing 38 Special and much less expensive to shoot. Buy an extra cylinder and 22 long rifle and cost decreased even more. If you go camping or take day trips into the outback, you'll acquire skill much faster simply because you'll reach for the pug whenever it's playtime. So how about that? CCW capabilities with a gun that's just fun to shoot. And a suggested retail price in the low 300s I believe it's called a bargain. Now, this is uh, the author's opinion on that, and I agree with most of it. I believe it's called a bargain. Now, this is uh, the author's opinion on that, and I agree with most of it, 99% of it. But I'll tell you, I've got a lot of history and experience with the North American Arms Pug now. I've, I've had one for years, been shooting it. And let's talk about it a little bit. When you buy the gun... The, the standard gun, they come with a little tiny rounded off grips that fit perfectly to the shape of the gun. However, sometimes those grips can be too small for a person with large hands like myself. But I've got the catalog for North American Arms and it's, man, it's very diverse in what they have here. First of all, before I get into the grips, let me just tell you, they've got different types of little mini revolvers. They've got one called the Sidewinder. And that one's basically like a, a revolver where you open up the cylinders because normally to reload a North American Arms Mini Revolver, you have to pull the cylinder pin out, take the cylinder out, load it with five rounds, and put it all together. The Sidewinder, however, you, you uh, open up the cylinder and it swings out to the right and it's all connected so you're not going to miss any pieces. I want to make something very clear on this particular gun though. This gun is not meant for a quick reload. This gun is meant to get, get you away from the threat to get you to a bigger gun if you need to. Okay? Now, on this particular gun, I can't tell you how much I promote it to women. Women have things men don't have up on top, and it's a great place to hide one. 
And I make special holsters for that that are perfect, and the ladies love it. You don't even know they've got it on. And I always tell them, look, if somebody's aggressing you and grabbing you or something, you, you comply, and your hand goes under your shirt, and out comes the little mini revolver, and there you go, and the person doesn't even know it. I call that the buster for obvious reasons. Then, uh, I'm not going to leave the guys out, I made one called the Chester. And the Chester works basically with a lanyard going around your neck with the holster attached to the end of it, and it's underneath your shirt, and the same concept idea. So it kind of hides in the valley of your chest. Now, guys, if, you, if you're bought and paid that real estate above your belt line there, and it's sticking out a little bit, you know, you'll just have to wear a bigger shirt, I guess, to hide it. But it's a very, <coughs> excuse me, it's a very handy pistol or revolver. And you can put it in your boot, you can put it in your waistline, you can wear it in one of the holsters, like I said. But when it comes to the grip, what I noticed when I shot the mini revolver with the small grip with my large hand, I noticed that my shots were all over. Although they hit the paper, shooting at 11, 11 by 17 piece of paper, I would hit the paper, it would just be all over the place. They have a grip called the boot grip. And what it does, it kind of looks like the old six-year, the uh, John Wayne pistol, the grip on that. It's got the squared-off end on the backside, and that fits in the palm quite nicely, yet it keeps the skinniness of the gun intact. But it does draw, it does make the uh, shot group, when I shoot it, get into a six-inch circle, which is very nice. On some of these guns, on one particular model, they have a gun called the Black Widow, and it has a large black rubber grip. That one makes it even more accurate where I can get it inside of a four to three inch circle. But you start to lose um, concealability. We got a call for the show? Okay. Thank you for calling. Call back. We'll pick up. So you've got these different types of grips depending on the size of your hand and how you want to carry it. They also have a grip that folds up like a lock blade knife and it goes around part of the gun. So you can actually clip it into your pants pocket. It'll look like a, a folding knife that's you see on everybody's pants pocket. And I actually call this gun, I call this gun the pocket knife of the gun world. You can basically go everywhere with this thing and not even know you got it on you. And there's a negative to that. It's so comfortable, sometimes you'll forget you got it on. You might walk into a spot where you're not supposed to. So keep in mind you're wearing your little your mini revolver. Well made. Craftsmanship's well made, and this customer service at North American Arms is very good. It's excellent. If you get a 22 Magnum gun, <coughs> excuse me, they come in two different frame sizes. They got the 22 long rifle frame, which is smaller, and they've got the 22 Magnum frame, which is larger. The nice thing about the 22 Magnum frame is that if you wanted to get an extra cylinder in 22 long rifle, you can purchase it. I think you have to send the gun to them so they can time the cylinder up. But you have the ability to swap out from 22 mag to 22 long rifle. Because the 22 Magnum is larger, obviously you can't fit that larger round in the smaller frame. So if you want to have the combination package, which they do sell, by the way, right from the get-go, you can get one that has got a 22 cylinder and a 22 mag cylinder. If you, if you already have the gun and it's only 22 mag, you can call them up and you can order a 22 long rifle cylinder, send it to them, they'll time it up for you and the price is right. They've also got, in the catalog here, they got different types of holsters, pocket holsters, hip holsters. They've even got the belt buckle. Now that, <coughs> excuse me, now that open carry is here, the belt buckle is on your hip and this little mini revolver can be locked into your belt buckle, and it's legal because it's on your hip. It's in a holster, and uh, with open carry, you can walk around with that thing and no problems. Ankle holsters, hip holsters, pocket holsters, 
shoulder holsters. They've got gun display cases. So the North American Arms Mini Revolver Pug is the one I like the most just because how it looks. They've got long barrels and short barrels. So you can go to ANC Firearms in Heidenhammer. The number is 254-983-4417. Ask them about the North American Arms Mini Revolver. Uh, they've got a variety of them. If they don't have it there, they can order it for you. It's not a problem. And what's nice about it is I think the most expensive one is probably high 300s, and that's with all the bells and whistles, and you can get it down to about $200 for just the plain Jane one. So anywhere in that, in that price range, you're going to get an excellent gun for concealment. It's very effective in the round, and the ballistics of it look very good. So if you're interested in that, give ANC Firearms a call, 254-983-4417. Check it out. Have them put one on hold for you, and I think you're going to enjoy it very much. And if you've got any further questions, just feel free to give us a call, 254-697-6633. Give me an email at aaronsgunshop at gmail.com, or go to the website aaronsgunshop.com. And make sure you go to Facebook, like us on Facebook. Oh, also, too, become a subscriber to my YouTube channel. If you go to Aaron's Gun Shop uh, YouTube channel, you can become a subscriber. Look at all our interviews, our product demos, um, gun training videos. We even have videos there of the round robin competitions, uh, shoot house, all sorts of things. So check it out, Aaron's Gun Shop on YouTube. Thank you for your support. You know, Give us a like us on Facebook. Keep your powder dry, and God bless.